All right, let's bow and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this new year where we have an opportunity to worship and serve you. Uh, we thank you for your sovereignty over all of history from beginning to end. Uh, we thank you for your loving kindness and mercy uh, that you've shown uh, throughout all of history and continuing here until into 2024 and all the way to the end of time. We thank you, Lord, for your word where you've revealed yourself, uh, who you are, and revealed your great plan of redemption of mankind. We thank you, Lord, that you had the love to send Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. We ask, Lord, that today as we gather around your word to study it, you would pour out your Holy Spirit on each and every one of us and open our hearts and minds so that we could truly understand what you're trying to teach us from your word today. We thank you for this Lord's Day uh, where we can uh, spend a, a special amount of time here today as the body of Christ in, uh, in worship of you. We thank you for the way that you've designed things, that you designed uh, the week all the way back to creation so that, this, so that you could set aside this first day of the week that we could worship you. And we thank you and we love you, Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are in part 19, our very first um, class in 2024. Uh, this is, as I've said before, a 39-part series, so we're just about halfway through, um, going through the book of Revelation. So uh, the last time we did the first four trumpets, and now we're going to slow down a little bit because there's quite a bit more information about the fifth, sixth, and seventh trumpet than there were about the four trumpets. So we did four trumpets all together last time, and, and today we're just going to do one trumpet, uh, just the fifth trumpet this time. Um, as we go through this, the events of the Great Tribulation, which is where we are now. So what we learn today, today the fifth trumpet, hell on earth is what we're going to call it. Um, we're going to have the pit unlocked. We're going to have the power unleashed. We're going to have the appearance unveiled of these creatures that are coming up out of the abyss. And you can see a picture there on the, on the right hand side of the screen, an artist rendering. Um, and uh, the prince unmasked, the the. the particular demon that leads this, uh, this horde of demons up out of the abyss. Uh, we'll, we'll get a name for him in today's lesson also. But first we'll do a little bit of review from last time. So last time we did the first four trumpets. So we, we had the opening of the seventh seal, and the seventh seal contains the seven trumpets. And so we had the seventh seal being broken, and then the first four trumpets, which was uh, Revelation chapter 8 last time. Um, so the Lamb, of course, the Lamb is uh, the glorified Lord Jesus Christ. And he has broken each of these seals in turn. And now he gets to the seventh and final seal. And he breaks that one. And something different happens. There's silence in heaven, if you remember from last time. So there had been all this noise. And now all of a sudden there's silence at the seven, uh, seventh seal. Um, and then there's seven angels that stand before God. Um, and they have seven trumpets. Uh, and then there's another angel besides the seven. 
who has this incense, and he brings the incense, which is the prayers of the saints, and then he fills it with the fire from the altar and throws it down onto the earth. Um, so that censer filled with fire is thrown down onto the earth, and, and then there's noise. Uh, there's peals of thunder, sounds of flashes of lightning, and, a, and another big earthquake. We had a big earthquake in the sixth seal. We got another big earthquake here. We get hail mixed with fire. Uh, we get fire mixed with blood. Uh, we have massive damage to the earth in these, uh, these four trumpets. Um, a third of the earth burned up, a third of the trees burned up, the green grass burned up. We have then the second trumpet, and that affects the sea. So we had the first trumpet affect the land. We have the second trumpet affects the sea. A third of the sea became blood, a third of the creatures were destroyed, and a third of the ships are destroyed. And then we get a third trumpet. The third trumpet is a great star falls from the heaven. It falls on the rivers. Uh, wormwood is the name of this, uh, this star because the waters become bitter. So the fresh water is bitter. So we have the land destroyed. We have the sea destroyed. Then we have the fresh water uh, poisoned. And then we have a fourth angel. Uh, and the fourth angel, um, there's a disaster in the sky, a third of the sun, a third of the moon, a third of the stars. Uh, so a third of them would be darkened. So we've got the, the first trumpet affects the land, then the sea, and then the fresh water, and then the sky. And so everything in creation, uh, God's wrath is being poured out on the creation here. Um, and then at the very end of last time, we have this, uh, what, he, he, what John describes as an eagle flying in the mid-heaven, so way up in the sky, and saying with a loud voice, you ain't seen nothing yet. Uh, no, he doesn't say that. He says, whoa, 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 to those who dwell on the earth because of the, the last three trumpets. So the first four trumpets have been sounded, and now John sees an eagle flying through the heaven, uh, the mid-heaven, and saying it's going to get much worse. It's been really bad. These four trumpets have destroyed land and sea and water and sky, and, uh, and now it's about to get worse, uh, is what this eagle is saying. And it's going to get worse for those who dwell on the earth, which is the technical term used here in Revelation for those who reject the gospel. It's going to get worse and worse and worse unless they repent. So that was what we did last time. Any questions about what we did last time, the first four trumpets? Yes, Margaret. Is there some significance to um, one-third, one-third, one-third for each of the first four trumpets? Well, that's a good question. I, I think um, um, there's, there's two things that I think the one-third tells us. One is that it's not complete destruction. In other words, there's more destruction there's more capacity for things to still be destroyed. And the other is one-third is still a lot. You know, if one-third of the, f the food supply for the whole earth is gone, taking away all the trees, one-third of the fish and one-third of the, the trees on land and, and whatnot, and animals being killed because of this devastation on the land, um, that's a lot. I mean, that's very, very su su significant, a third is. But it's not everything. It's not even half. Uh, so I think that's what it's, the, the scripture is telling us. It's a very, very, very significant destruction, but not everything, because there's still more to come. So we're, now we come to chapter 9, and we're going to do the first 12 verses of chapter 9 today, and it's the fifth trumpet. So uh, we did four, four trumpets in, uh, in about 
nine verses last time. Now we're going to have 12 verses just to do one. Because this is a special trumpet. Uh, these, these last three trumpets will be uh, much more um, much more significant and much more, there's much more description in the Word of God about these last three than there were about those first four. So, uh, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Revelation chapter 9, your Bibles or your devices. Uh, we're going to read the scripture first, these 12 verses. So, Revelation chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. He opened the bottomless pit, and smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and power was given to them, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, and death flees from them. The appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle, and on their heads appeared to be crowns like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like the hair of women, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots of many horses rushing to battle. They have tails like scorpions and stings, and in their tails is their power to hurt men for five months. They have as king over them the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in the Greek he has the name Apollyon. The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these. So now it's getting serious. Um, so this is the fifth trumpet, and we've got um, uh, more of a spiritual battle here uh, with demons coming up out of the abyss. Uh, so this is what MacArthur has to say about this section of Scripture, because our world is the theater where the glorious God-honoring story of redemption is played out. Satan and his demon hosts have attacked the human race, turning the earth into the main battleground in their cosmic war against God, the holy angels, and the elect. Satan launches his first assault in the Garden of Eden, where he successfully tempted Adam and Eve to disobey God. The disastrous consequences were that sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned, Romans 5.12. From the beginning to the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, Satan fought with all his impotent fury against the Lord Jesus Christ. He tempted Christ for 40 days at the beginning of his ministry futilely seeking to turn him aside from the work his father sent him to accomplish, as we see in Matthew chapter 4. A long and relentless war was waged against Jesus by the Jewish leaders, whom he identified as belonging to the family of the devil in John chapter 8. 
The church has also been a special target of satanic assault. Shortly after its founding, Satan himself prompted Ananias and his wife Sapphira to corrupt the church by lying to the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 5. The couple's foolish, sinful, and hypocritical attempt to impress others with their spirituality ended when God put them to death before the whole congregation. Satan also battled the Apostle Paul, hindering him from visiting the Thessalonian church and tormenting him with a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. In the future, Satan will serve God's purpose by being permitted to launch another deadly assault against the human race. That attack will come at the sounding of the fifth trumpet during the time of God's judgment in the Great Tribulation. For millennia, the heavens have declared God's glory, but in the future they will declare His wrath. While the destruction caused by the first four trumpet judgments will be catastrophic, the remaining three will be far worse. That was the sobering message given by an eagle flying in mid-heaven in last week's lesson. The, the eagle's message will give people one last opportunity to repent before the rising crescendo of divine judgment reaches its apex in the final three blasts of God's holy anger. Each of the first four trumpet judgments affect the physical universe in some way, but with the sounding of the fifth trumpet, the focus will shift from the physical into the spiritual realm. So, let's take a look at this uh, verse by verse, starting with verse 1 and 2. So, we've had these, uh, we had these seven angels uh, standing before the throne, and they're, they're sounding in, in order. Verse 4, now we have the fifth one. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen... Uh, notice that had fallen in the past. God's not, uh, John's not seeing this angel fall. It's an angel he sees that had fallen in the past. Had fallen to the earth. And the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. He opened the bottomless pit and smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. So the fifth, uh, and so one of the terms that theologians use for these particular seven angels is the presence angel, because they stand in the presence of God. And so the fifth of these presence angels sounds his trumpet. Uh, John saw a star from heaven; it falls. Uh, in his vision, the apostle had already seen several heavenly bodies plunged to earth. Chapter six, chapter eight, we saw that um, stars falling to heaven, uh, falling to earth. Unlike them, however, this star is not an inanimate object; uh, it's an angelic being. Um, he is—he was said to have fallen to the earth. This is a reference to Satan. Um, it seems clear. So we see this uh, similar language in Isaiah chapter 14. So Isaiah chapter 14 is one of the few and longest um, passages about Satan's fall. Uh, so Isaiah 14, 12 to 15, How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recess is in the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. That's Isaiah chapter 14. It's a very interesting chapter. It starts out, and, it, and it's about, it seems to be about an earthly king. And I think it is. The early part of Isaiah 14 is about an earthly king. But then it switches in the middle of the chapter, and it's obviously not talking about an earthly king. It's talking about Satan and his fall. 
Okay, uh, so so here we have Satan uh, with his theater of operations now restricted to the earth and his time running out. Satan will seek to marshal all his demonic hosts, those already on earth, those cast to earth with him, and those incarcerated in this bottomless pit. Uh, so this word bottomless here, the Greek word abusos, um, this is the, the word from which we get the English word abyss. The English word abyss comes from this Greek word. It appears seven times in Revelation and always refers to an abode of incarcerated demons. It's here in chapter 9 twice, it's in chapter 11, it's chapter 17. So this is some place where demons have been incarcerated, this bottomless pit, this uh, abyss. Uh, Satan himself will be held prisoner there during the millennium, uh, chained and locked up with the other demonic prisoners. Uh, scripture teaches that God has sovereignly chosen to incarcerate certain demons in that pit of punishment, and they're let out here for a time. Second uh, Peter chapter 2 talks about that. God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. Uh, the phrase, cast them into hell, is a participle derived from the Greek noun Tartarus. Um, and that's Tartarus is the, the name in Greek literature for the place where the worst sinners, those who had offended the gods personally, went after death and were punished. So this is a Greek word that's used in Greek literature to, to um, denote the worst of the worst of uh, hells, that uh, the worst of the worst sinners would be sent to. Um, and so that's the word that uh, the Holy Spirit has the Apostle John used to describe this, uh, this pit, this abyss, um, Tartarus. Okay, um, I'm sorry, not the Apostle John, the Apostle Peter. Uh, the demons incarcerated in the abyss are undoubtedly the most wicked, vile, and perverted of all the fallen angels. We get descriptions of them in other places in Scripture. Uh, Jude and Second uh, Peter and Jude, and uh, there's a First Peter chapter 3 has a section on it as well. But in Jude, uh, it describes them as angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode noting that God has kept them in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these, indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing punishment of eternal fire. This is a very interesting passage of scripture. This is a description of those demons in this pit and what they did and their their it's likened to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah and what they did in going after strange flesh, indulging in gross immorality. That's the description of these demons that were locked away in this pit. That passage describes certain fallen angels who left the angelic domain to indulge in sexual sin with humans, just as the men of Sodom and Gomorrah attempted to engage in perverted sex with angels in Genesis chapter 19. And so um, the scriptures that talk about this particular incident include Genesis chapter 6, uh, the book of Jude, Second um, Peter chapter 2, and First Peter chapter 3. Uh, it's very interesting, and then we come around full circle to this chapter in Revelation where we see what finally uh, happens with this pit. This pit finally gets, uh, gets opened. Um, 
Peter reveals when this angelic sin occurred in 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, for Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah, during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. So whatever these angels did, that's when, it, that's when they did it. The spirits now in prison in the abyss are those who once were disobedient in the days of Noah. They are the demons who cohabited with human women in Satan's failed attempt to corrupt the human race and make it unredeemable. Think about all the way back to the Garden of Eden, when we have the fall, and the punishments and the promises that are given out in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, what, did, what did God promise to the woman? He said, the, well, he, he, so there's, there was the, the seed. He promised the seed. So there was punishment. The cur curse was given. Curse in the ground and, and the pain in childbirth and the, and the toil to get food. But there was a promise of a seed. Well, Satan was right there. He was there for that set of punishments and promises. And so he knows, Satan knows that the seed of the woman will strike his head. And so what does he do? He comes up with a scheme to corrupt the seed of the woman. And we see that played out in Genesis chapter 6. Um, it doesn't work, of course, uh, but that's his plan. Um, that demons still fear being sent to the abyss is evident from the fact that some pled with Jesus not to send them there. So uh, the demon-possessed man, uh, when Jesus was driving the demons, the legion of demons out of the man, uh, they were terrified that he would send them here to this abyss. Um, and asked them to go among the pigs instead because they were terrified of being sent to this abyss because they knew that other of their brother demons had been sent to this abyss before and they didn't want to go there. Um, yes, yeah, so not all the demons were sent there. Obviously, there were still demons there during Christ's earthly ministry. Um, but some, some subset was sent to this abyss and that's what we see here. Okay, uh, so Satan receives the key. Uh, who had the key in, Gen in Revelation chapter 1? Who had the keys? Christ had all the keys. And so, but Satan gets one to this bottomless pit. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ gives him this pit for God's purposes. This is done for the purpose of executing his wrath. God often uses um, fallen instruments. Um, he uses... Um, uh, wicked secular kings to do his bidding to chastise his people, for example. And in this case, he's going to use Satan and his demons to execute his will uh, as part of his judgment on the earth. Uh, so, so Christ gives the key uh, to Satan, to this bottomless pit that's been closed all the way since Genesis chapter 6. Uh, when the abyss opens, smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. Uh, smoke in Revelation, Revelation may refer to holy things, the smoke of incense, for example, in chapter 8, and we'll see in chapter 15, but usually it's associated with judgment, as we see here in chapter 9, in chapter 14, chapter 18, chapter 19. Uh, it's, this is the smoke of judgment. Such a vast volume of smoke issued from this abyss that the sun and the air were darkened by it. So John's watching this vision. 
He's watching uh, Satan be given this key, open up this pit, huge amounts of smoke billow out. Enough to darken the sun. Uh, the smoke pollutes the sky, uh, symbolizing the corruption of hell belching forth from the abyss to pollute the world. Um, so it's bad. This is, a, this is a, a nasty little vision that John is seeing here. Um, and then it continues, Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and power was given them, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And so locusts, what do they normally eat? All the green stuff. All the green stuff. So these locusts are not going to eat any green stuff. Uh, they're only going to attack people. Yeah. Um, so if all the grass was dead, how could there be grass now? Um, so I can go to Home Depot and buy a big bag of grass seed. Big bag of grass seed. And so all the grass could be burned up and, the, and you could plant grass and it would grow back up. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, so, so as, long, as long as only a third of the Home Depots were destroyed and we still have two thirds of the Home Depots. So, yeah, that's a really good question. Yeah, yeah. So um, there's a couple things we have to keep in mind. So the, the angels are spiritual beings, but they can affect the physical world, obviously, because they can, um, you know, we have demon possession examples, so they can obviously touch people and make people do things, and they can affect the physical world somehow. Um, and so we don't, I don't know for sure whether this thing is a physical place or just a spiritual realm. And the other thing, of course, is that everything John's seeing here is a vision. And so... Uh, we'll get to it in a minute, but this chapter in particular, the word like is in there ten times. It's like a, some, it's like this, it's like that. It appears to be something like this. And so uh, that's a clue that John is trying to describe things, and it's, um, I, don't, I don't think it's really clear, especially in this chapter, how much is physical and how much is, is spiritual and representative. Um, it's, a, it's a difficult uh, thing to navigate throughout the whole book of Revelation, but particularly in this chapter, it's difficult to see what it, what it is. So um, that's a long way to say I don't know. Uh, so it could be a physical place, um, but it also could be just a spiritual realm where they're trapped. But it's, um, I think it's really interesting that the demons that Jesus interacted with were terrified of that place. They didn't want to go there. They would rather go into the pigs. Don't send us to that abyss. Can we please go into the pigs? Uh, so whether it was a physical or, or a spiritual place, it was a place of torment for these demons. Right. So, yeah, so that's, that's true. So, yeah, even if people don't go to Home Depot and buy seeds... Um, it, it's true that grass grows back after a forest fire. After a forest fire burns everything to the ground and everything is black, grass will start growing up after that. Um, so, yeah, so grass could come back. And so, um, remember, this whole thing has to take three and a half years, this Great Tribulation. So there's seven years of tribulation, three and a half years of Great Tribulation. So these, these things are not all happening within a five-minute period. 
they're, they're spaced out over seven years for the whole thing, three and a half years for these great tribulations that we're talking about now. And so uh, it's very, very possible that a number of months have gone by since that grass was destroyed. Uh, I think it's probable for there to be grass for God to tell them not to touch. I think it's most likely that all the grass was destroyed and now some has grown back up because a number of months have passed. Um, yeah, probably right. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, so, uh, so we've got the smoke coming up. Um, and so out of this vast, uh, billowing, ominous cloud of smoke that's in John's vision, he's seeing this in his vision, darkens the sky and causes panic among the Earth's inhabitants, John sees a new terror emerge, and that is these demons in the form of locusts. So this abyss we know has demons in it. They come out, they look like... John's describing them the best way he can. So he sees a vision, he sees these demons coming out, and this is how he describes them. Um, resembling locusts swarmed out of the abyss uh, to plague the earth. Uh, now we have other passages of scripture that talk about actual locusts, uh, destructive power of locusts in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, Second Chronicles, Psalms, Joel, Nahum. Uh, locust swarms can be huge. Uh, in, in historical times, there was a swarm over the Red Sea in 1889 reported to have covered 2,000 uh, 2, square miles. That's a lot of locusts. Yes? <clears throat> if, if, uh, if God was looking at locusts at that time, would it be that these are drones? Well, I, I don't think so because they're, they're out of this abyss, remember, we know that demons are imprisoned in this abyss. And Satan needs to be given a key to open up this abyss and let whatever these things are out. So that doesn't sound like a description of drones. It sounds like beings. And the description of them, I think, is talking about um, uh, actual beings, actual demons, I think is what he's talking about here. Um, yeah. Did they physically look like locusts, or did they look, like, or was the swarming behavior? Like so uh, that's we don't know. So yeah. So so John yeah John's described, but they have wings. Yeah. So the sound of their wings is like uh, uh, horses and chariots and things. Um, and they have hair. And, and they yes they, they're really bizarre looking. I'll show you an artist rendering here in a minute. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so the description he gives is really uh, outlandish. You know, a man's face and a woman's hair and lion's teeth and got a sting like a scorpion. Um, it's a really bizarre looking thing that John's describing. Uh, but, you know, he's doing the best he can in his vision uh, to describe whatever it is he's seeing. Yeah. Uh, so locusts, physical locust swarms, regular locusts can be huge, big swarm that can do tremendous damage. Uh, there was a plague of locusts in 1951 and 52 in the Middle East, Iran, Iraq, Jordan, and Saudi Arabia. And almost every green thing in those four countries was completely destroyed by a giant swarm of locusts uh, over an area of hundreds of thousands of square miles during that uh, plague of locusts. Yeah. <clears throat> Old Testament references also, the locusts were attacking plant life. Mm -hmm. These guys are attacking humans. Yes. Like they die. Yep. Yeah, so this is different. 
Uh, this is different. He's using locusts as a reference because of their destruction, um, I think. Um, but then he gives this description that's really weird of what these things look like. Um, they're not ordinary locusts, uh, but, but he's using locusts as the best analogy he has uh, for these demons. Uh, describing them in the form of locusts symbolizes their huge numbers, massive destructive capability. Um, three times in the passage, it talks about their power. Verse 3, verse 5, verse 10. Their power to inflict pain is compared to that of scorpions. So it's compared to the scorpions. The, the, so they're locusts. They're, come, they're talked about locusts in their massive swarming numbers and destructive power, but their, their power to inflict pain is three times compared to scorpions. Um, so they're not actual locusts. Um, locusts don't have stinging tails like scorpions. So combining in the description of the demons, locusts and scorpions emphasizes deadliness of the demon invasion and devastating pain inflicted by these demons, uh, worse than actual scorpions, actually. Uh, in this judgment, God brings demons into direct contact with the unrepentant people with whom they will spend forever in a lake of fire. So think about that. So these demons are, are eventually, they're tossed into the lake of fire. And so is everybody who is unrepentant at the great white throne judgment. So people are getting a foretaste here of who's going to be in that lake of fire with them. These demons are going to be in the lake of fire with them, and they get to meet them face to face for five months um, as a mercy from God, actually, uh, to show them what it will be like, to give them an opportunity to repent still. Um, yes, so this is for God's purposes. He's, he's, released, he's unleashed these demons to show people what it's going to be like in that lake of fire. Who's going to be in there with them in that lake of fire? Uh, these demons will be there. Uh, they'll, and they'll, in the, when they're in the lake of fire, they're going to want to die, and they won't be able to, uh, just like here. Um, so uh, then we get the fact that there's strict limitations placed on the activities of this demonic host. Um, the judgment um, is not of the physical world, um, but they're told that, they, that there are certain limits. There are things that they're not allowed to do. He forbids, he forbids them to hurt the grass of the earth or green of the, uh, any green thing nor any tree. So um, they're, they're not allowed to do destruction of the, earth, uh, of the earth's ecosystem. That's already been done by the first four trumpets. They're only permitted to touch people. Um, so it, as, as we just talked through, the reference to the grass suggests that some time has passed since the trumpet judgment scorched all the grass. Some time has passed. Enough time has passed for grass to grow back. Um, and we need three and a half years to pass by the end of these, these judgments. So it, you know, it, it makes sense that a number of months probably go by between these judgments um, for the people that are on, on the earth. Um, yes, so partial recovery of the earth's ecosystem from those four trumpets. Um, the demon's business is not with vegetation, but only with men, and not with all men, only with those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So uh, God's done this before. Uh, remember the story of Job, uh, Satan wants to strike at Job, and, and God allows him, but God sets limits to what he's allowed to do. Progressively, 
he, he expands those limits. But Satan is very constrained by what he's allowed to do by what's the will, the, by the will of God. And these demons too, uh, very tightly constrained uh, within the will of God. Um, so only men that have that do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Um, so believers will be preserved. So those who come to Christ during the great tribulation, they'll be preserved from these from the effect of these demons, the stings of these demons, um, just as God sheltered Israel from the effects of the Egyptian plague. So the Egyptian plagues were coming on all the Egyptians, but uh, but the um, uh, God's people were sheltered. Uh, especially from that last plague. Uh, yes? So, yeah, so uh, the, the 144,000, um, I think we're going to get to that. Yeah, so the 144,000 have a special seal, um, and so they're protected from everything during the, the whole Great Tribulation. Uh, but every believer is, is protected from these particular demons stinging, the stinging demons. Yeah, so everybody who's um, uh, got the seal of God on their forehead, that's all the believers. Uh, that's separate from the 144,000, which got their special seal to make it all the way through the Great Tribulation with nothing affecting them. Yes. Yeah, so, so yes, they're bringing, as the 144,000 witnesses go out, they're making converts. So people are converting to, to Christ, and so you have other, others than the 144,000 are coming to Christ. They're, they've got seal on their forehead because they're, they're now followers of Christ. Um, but they're still not the 144,000 who have a, a special seal that they got uh, in the vision previously. Uh, yeah. So, uh, and we we have a, we've gone through this story before, Ezekiel chapter nine. In Ezekiel chapter nine, uh, God um, decided to destroy Jerusalem. Um, or destroy the people of Jerusalem. But before he did that, he had an angel. He commanded an angel to go through uh, Jerusalem and put a mark on the redeemed. And those that did not have the mark were subject to death when the city fell to the Babylonians. And so um, there, there's a precedent for God putting a mark on people to save and then sending in an angel of death that kills everybody else. Um, in this case, he sent in demons to kill, not to kill, but to torment everybody else. Uh, so we've seen that before. Uh, the seal marks them as personally belonging to God and as such protected from the forces of hell as they, they come up here to do this, uh, to the will of God by tormenting the unredeemed. Um, and then continuing, verse 5. Who's putting the seal on? So who's putting the seal? So... Um, it doesn't say, so it doesn't say here, uh, but the, the, it, I, I, here's my guess. It's the Holy Spirit. So uh, we know that the Holy Spirit indwells all those who are followers of Christ. And, so, uh, and, and the Holy Spirit is, is other places described as a seal, um, a seal of our redemption, a seal of our, um, the fact that we will receive eternal life. Um, and so I think the seal is the Holy Spirit, and every believer has, that's the seal that every believer has. And, and that seal, of course, that seal was at the throne, and you have God the Father there, you have God the um, uh, Son there, the Lamb is there. Uh, previously, we had a description that the seven spirits of God are there, which is the Holy Spirit. So yes, you have the triune God there at the time that the seal is given. So it could very well be the Holy Spirit once again. 
Um, so continuing on in that passage, so starting with verse 5, it says, And they were not permitted to kill anyone, anyone, uh, not believers or unbelievers, but to torment for five months, and so for a set period of time. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, and death flees from them. So, I, I really think that this is a preview of hell. That these demons have come up out of hell. They're going to put people in agony to the point where they want to die, and they won't be able to. And that's like being tossed into that lake of fire. There's, you can't escape the torment. It's everlasting torment. You can't get away. You can't. You can't die. You just go on and on and on with torment, and that's how people are going to feel, even though it's only five months. Um, so even if somebody's afflicted at the very beginning, it's only going to last five months, not eternity, like being tossed into the lake of fire. And, and, this, and just five months' worth is enough to make people wish for death. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so even what the demons can do to the unregenerate is limited. So not only can they not touch anybody who is redeemed by the Lord, they can only do a limited amount of damage to even the unregenerate. Um, in Hebrews chapter 2, we see that Satan has the power of death, but its exercise is subject to God's sovereign will, always. Uh, thus these demons were not permitted to kill anyone, is what those, the scripture tells us. Um, after millennia of captivity, so these demons have been in there since... Uh, Genesis chapter 6. Thousands of years they've been in this pit. The vile demons would certainly want to give full vent to their pent-up evil by slaughtering people. And Satan would want to kill all the unregenerate to keep them from repenting. So if Satan was free, he would probably kill all of them. Uh, but God doesn't allow it. Uh, God in his mercy will give people torment for five months, which, oh, by the way, is the normal lifespan of a locust. Uh, usually from May to September in our country, during which they will be given the opportunity to repent and embrace the gospel. Um, so one last chance. Uh, the Greek word torment, uh, um, that's translated torment here, basanitso, um, also in other places it's, it's translated pain. Uh, it describes punishment, uh, the torment of punishment here in Revelation chapter 11, chapter 14, chapter 18, chapter 20, uh, and elsewhere in, um, in both extra-biblical Greek literature and also in the Bible it can also be translated as pain. So torment or pain is what we're talking about here. Uh, and their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man, and in those days men will seek death and will not find it. Um, and death flees from them. So there's intense torment or pain is what these demons are, are inflicting on the unredeemed for five months. So intense will the torment be that men will seek death, um, but they, they won't find it. Um, the earth people have loved and worshipped will have been utterly devastated, the land ravaged by earthquakes and fires and volcanoes. So building up to this point, we've had all these natural disasters, uh, or, or supernatural disasters that affect nature. Uh, we've got fires and volcanoes. We have the sea filled with the putrefying remains of billions of dead things. We have the freshwater supply turned bitter, atmosphere polluted by gases and showers of heavenly debris. 
And then we've got the foul smoke coming up out of the pit of hell and demons unleashed on people uh, to, to provide this torment of wicked people. Uh, and there's no escape from this agony uh, inflicted by the demons. No escape from divine judgment. And so I really think that God is, is given just a little peek, a tiny little peek of what hell's going to be like for the unregenerate to try to give them this one last chance to repent. Uh, this is really mercy by God to send um, increasingly severe judgments without just destroying them all at once. Uh, to try to uh, uh, provide the proper stimulus for people to repent. That's what he's, he's trying to do. Unlike the flood. Unlike the flood. So uh, it's interesting. So the flood was, of course, delayed for a number of years, uh, for a period of time, maybe 120, maybe the 120 years is talking about how long it took to build the ark, not real clear from scripture, but there was time when Noah, a preacher of righteousness, was preaching righteousness, and people were just not listening. Um, and so, yeah, that ark was really huge, and more than eight people could have fit on it. Um, so, uh, but only eight people were saved because the rest rejected the message. Um, but yeah, so but the flood, of course, yes, was once it started, it was all at once. The judgment destroyed everything which the the breath of life was on the entire earth all at once. Uh, in this case, seven years worth of uh, progressively uh, worsening judgments and wrath poured out with opportunity for people to be saved. And, and we see, in fact, people were saved during this time. There were people that repented during this, this time. Um, but there's no escaping God's divine judgment in the end. Uh, and then we get this uh, very interesting little passage of Scripture here. Uh, starting in verse 7, we get a description, God, uh, John's description, his best effort at describing these things. So he says this, uh, The appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle, and on their heads appeared to be crowns like gold. Appeared to be. Notice the kind of words that John's using here. Appeared to be. Uh, not, crown, not on their heads were crowns, but on their heads appeared to be crowns like gold. And their faces were like the faces of men. Their faces weren't the faces of men. They were like the faces of men. They had hair like the hair of women. They didn't have the hair of women. They had hair like the hair of women. And their teeth were like the teeth of lions. They had breastplates like the breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots of many horses rushing to battle. So he's delineated the devastation of these locusts, these demons will cause, and then he gives this kind of the best, his best way of describing in human language these, um, these demons. Uh, they're described as locusts because of their massive devastation and rapid judgment from God, uh, but their exaggerated, terrifying features reveal them to be unlike any locust or scorpion or any other creature ever before seen on earth. So John's struggling once again to describe something that's undescribable. Uh, it's not like anything in his ordinary experience or our ordinary experience. He can only give an approximation of what this formidable spiritual army looked like. 
as the repeated use of the term like, ten times in this passage, like, 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 um, and appeared to be, uh, we get in this passage. Uh, to describe the supernatural and unfamiliar demon horde, John chooses natural and familiar analogies. Uh, so this is a demon horde, and he's doing the best he can, using locusts and scorpions and lions and like men's faces and like women's hair um, to try to describe it. So I have an artist rendering. Uh, so there, there is, uh, there is uh, something like a crown. It's something like a man's face with lion's teeth and something like women's hair. Here's something like an iron breastplate here. Something like a scorpion's sting and something like uh, wings of a locust. And so I don't know if this is what it looked like, but so imagine a six foot one of these showing up at your door. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I don't know. So, it's, um, it's interesting that um, when, when angels appeared to people in the Old Testament, for example, three angels ate a meal around a fire with Abraham, and he could not distinguish them from ordinary people. Um, and then two of those angels went and went to uh, Sodom and, and, and went to Lot's house. And he couldn't distinguish them from ordinary people. And they were able to snatch Lot into their house, into his house, right? Those were angels. Um, so when people saw angels, they looked like ordinary people. And so these demons, though, obviously they don't look like ordinary people. But we don't get a description of how big they are. Were they itty bitty like like uh, locusts? I don't know. Or were they were they the size of people and? It could be a parasite. It could be a parasite. I mean, who knows what they what they what their size actually was? But John John's describing their appearance um, in the vision, and he says they look like uh, maybe something like that. I don't know. <clears throat> I, I wouldn't want to have one of those things knock on my door. <laughs> yeah. So that's the description. Uh, from verse 7 to verse 9 is a description of these things that John gives. And he gives the language of um, this like. It's like a horse. It's not a horse, but it's like a horse. It's not a crown, but it's like a crown. It's not a face of a man, but it's like a face of a man. Um, those sort of things are, are clues, I think, in the language that the Holy Spirit uses here that this is a, a weird supernatural thing that that John is doing the best he can to describe that's that's and I, I just I like this artist's uh, <laughs> depiction so I snatched that and and, uh, and put it on there, <clears throat> thank there. <laughs> yes thank goodness we won't be there um, yeah thank goodness for the rapture uh, we don't get to meet these um, okay, so uh, the general appearance of the locusts was like a horse prepared for battle. They were warlike and powerful and defiant. On their heads, John saw what appeared to be crowns of gold. The word, the Greek word here is stephanoi. Uh, so there's two different words. I've, we've talked about this before. A ruler's crown and a victor's crown are different Greek words. And this is the Greek word for victor's crown, not a ruler's crown. So this isn't saying that they're all kings. It's saying that they're going to be victorious in their, um, their effort to torment people for five months. Um, they'll be unstoppable uh, by the people that they're tormenting. 
Uh, men will have no weapon that can arm them, no cure for the terrible torment. Um, the, that their faces are faces that look like men, indicate that they're intelligent, rational beings, not insects, so they don't have the face of an insect, they have a face of a, that looks like a man. Who I don't know what this, what it means of uh, uh, the hair of women. There were a couple of commentaries that said that it emphasizes their seductiveness, but that thing doesn't look very seductive to me. I don't, I don't care what hair you put on, I don't care what hair you put on that thing, it's not, <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Nasty. <laughs> uh, so they have teeth like like lion's teeth, uh, fierce and powerful like lions. Um, breastplate of iron, protect their. Um, so they they're like soldiers, appearing like soldiers in that way. Um, it emphasizes their invulnerability that they've got this iron breastplate on the front. And then in further metaphor from, um, from the battlefield, so we have this breastplate, which is a uh, battlefield metaphor. You've also got their sound of wings. They're sounding like a moving army, uh, like chariots and horses rushing to battle. Um, and so this is a, a demon horde, a demon army, and John's describing it the best way he can. And there's no escaping this massive worldwide onslaught. Nowhere to run, nowhere to hide for the unregenerate from these, this demon horde coming up out of the abyss. Um, his his uh, description continues, they have tails like scorpions and stings, and in their tails is their power to hurt men for five months. Uh, they have as king over them the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in the Greek, he has the name Apollyon. And then we see the first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these. Hmm. So, uh, continuing this description. So, there's three, three times he's des they're described as uh, compared to, to scorpions. Uh, twice in verse 3 and uh, once in verse 5. Uh, twice, once in verse 3, twice in verse 5. Uh, stresses that their sole mission is to hurt men. Once again, scorpion stings don't do anything to plants. This is uh, towards men. Um, the nature of this full-scale demonic torment that drives people to seek death and not find it, to pursue death, is not described. And so um, it's not the torment itself. There's no description of it. It's, it's going to be torment, but what kind of torment? Doesn't say. It um, doesn't say whether it's uh, something in your leg, something in your head, you know, something on your ear, um, something in your internal organs. It just doesn't say. But some sort of torment that's so bad that people wish they could just die. Uh, but the torment itself is not described. Uh, we do have some descriptions of what, when demons tormented people um, in Scripture, we have some descriptions of what that was like. Um, so uh, we had the uh, maniacs in uh, Gadara, uh, the Gadarenes uh, living in tombs. Uh, we had um, Jesus encountered tormented demons in uh, Matthew chapter 4. Uh, we had a demon-possessed boy who kept throwing himself into fires and water. 
uh, in acts of self-destruction in Mark chapter 9. So we have descriptions of some of the kind, different kinds of torments that demons have brought to people in the past. Uh, but we don't have an exact description of what the torment's going to look like in the future. Such are the spiritual and physical torments demons can inflict, and for five months they will do such to a whole world of ungodly sinners. And so we had de- we've had demons that have um, toyed with people in the past, but now there's going to be a whole horde and, uh, of them coming and doing it all at once. Yeah. So a- any other questions or comments? Yes, Richard. Yeah, al- although uh, different in that, nobody dies. So these demons are not permitted to kill anyone. So nobody dies. Uh, but they're tormented so bad that they wish they could die. Um, and so that's a, that's a little bit different from most of the, um, the plagues that we see, either in scripture or that we've experienced uh, ourselves, is usually the, the plagues that we think of are ones that kill a lot of people. Um, but this one won't kill anyone. Yes, it is a picture of hell. Wish they could get out. Wish they could die. Wish it could end, but it won't end. Yeah, and I I think that's really the 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 real focus of what the scripture is teaching here is that God's giving unredeemed people a, a preview of hell for five months, which is nothing compared to eternity, and and they. And they just can't bear it. They can't bear it for five months. And the 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 message is well, well this is what it's going to be like. This is a tiny, 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 tiny little bit of what it's going to be like for eternity if you end up in the lake of fire. Yeah, they won't be able to die, which is very interesting. I mean, it's a very th- interesting th- thing to think. I mean, right now, if people want to die, they can. Um, but here, he's saying they won't be able to. They'll seek death and they will not be able to find it. Yeah, yeah, very good. Uh, Tegan, do you have your hands up? I think it means that demons can't kill anyone and, and people won't be able to kill themselves. And that's really interesting, that they won't be able to escape uh, by killing themselves. They'll seek death and they, they, won't, they won't be able to find it. Um, that's, really a, that's a really bizarre thing, but that's what the scripture says. They'll seek death and they won't be able to find it. Uh, yeah. So, um, we, what we have here. Um, so, we have this, this torment of the demons inflicted, but it's limited to five months within God's sovereign will. Uh, the whole world of ungodly sinners. Um, so, unlike real locusts, the demons have a king over them. Somebody mentioned that before. Locusts don't have kings. That's just a, they have a king over them. Um, he gives the title as the Angel of the Abyss. The Abyss is the place where these um, demons have been. Is that I don't think so. Because I think the angel that was given the key is Satan. And I don't think this is Satan. Um, his domain is the heavenlies, Ephesians chapter 6, where he's the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians chapter 2. He's not associated with this abyss until he's cast into it in chapter 20. He's cast into this abyss, but he's never associated with this abyss until then, until Revelation 20. So I don't think this is, this is him. I think this is the leader of those demons that were in the abyss, came up out of the abyss. He was their leader. Uh, I think he's better reviewed as, uh, as a high-ranking demon in Satan's hierarchy 
the highest ranking of those that he's uh, sent to do the, the dirty deed in the Genesis chapter 6, and he's been, he's been uh, locked up in there. Um, he, he says his name in Hebrew is Abaddon, uh, and in Greek, Apollyon. Both words mean destroyer. Uh, Greek, uh, Hebrew Abaddon, Greek uh, Apollyon, destroyer. An apt name for the head of the devastating army of demons that rises from the abyss. Uh, Abaddon is also used in the Old Testament. It's a Hebrew word used in the Old Testament uh, uh, to describe the place of eternal punishment. Um, in Job chapter 26, 28, 31, Psalm 88, Proverbs 15 and 27, further reinforcing the angel's connection with the abyss and hell. Um, so that Hebrew word Abaddon, destroyer, um, is associated, uh, is also used as a description of the place where this Abaddon is coming from. He's kind of like an archdemon, yeah. I think that's what it is. So uh, we have a very few named angels, um, just a handful of archangels that are named, and this is a demon that's named. Um, so yes, yeah, something like an archdemon. Um, and then we get um, the fact that this is, so right before this fifth trumpet, we had the eagle that said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Woe to the earth, the inhabitants of the earth of, for the, the other three trumpets. And so now we've had one of those woes. And we get a, a reminder at the end of this passage of scripture that that's only one of the three, three woes that are coming. Um, so that's the first of these three woes that the eagle was talking about, uh, the, the fifth trumpet. Um, and so John's cautioning here that God's wrath has not run its course. Uh, there's, more, there's two more woes, the sixth and the seventh trumpet to come. Uh, and, and the seventh trumpet, of course, includes all the bold judgments. And those are still coming after these things, which is what we get here at the end of verse 12. Woes that are still coming after these things. So after what we've seen here in the fifth trumpet, we've still got two more trumpets to go. Um, and there will be nothing more than a brief sigh of relief before still more fearful judgments on those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So, um, that's what we learned today. We have the fifth trumpet. Um, any questions? We have about five minutes. No, there's only one rapture. Um, and then there are people that are becoming saved during this seven-year period, three and a half years of tribulation, three and a half years of great tribulation. And so, no, there's not a second rapture. So they live through some part of it. People are being killed. Uh, people are being martyred. People are dying of natural causes. People are having giant hailstones fall on them, all these sort of things, uh, people are dying, just like people died from, uh, you know, time of Adam up until the tribulation. We had many, many people that were believers die before the rapture. And similarly, you have believers that have died after the rapture as well. Yes, so, <clears throat> yeah, so there's uh, two phases, main phases to the... Um, uh, the flood, the, the prevailing stage, and the receding phase. And uh, each of those are 150 days, about 150 days. Uh, there's 40 days of rain, there's 150 days of prevailing, there's 150 days of receding. And then there's um, 
some time where Noah sends out doves and the, 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 earth, the ark comes to rest, but it's another three months before they actually go off. Altogether, it's a little over a year. They're, they're on the ark for uh, 371 days. If you, if you add up the days day by day on the ark, 371 days is how long they are from the, the day they went in to the day they came off. 371 days. So 150 days is the prevailing stage of the ark. So the waters prevailed over the earth for 150 days. So first you had 40 days of, of rain and the breaking up of the fountains of the great deep. The water goes up over the highest mountains and prevails over the high mountains for 150 days. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Any other question? Oh, we're out of time. I'm sorry. Uh, let me let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truths that we see in your word. We thank you for the warnings. We thank you for the description of the fact that you are sovereign over all of these events, uh, that, that even your wrath comes uh, together with mercy, uh, that you give people a chance, uh, that you didn't wipe out Adam and Eve the day that they sinned, uh, that you didn't wipe me out the day that I sinned. Uh, that you give uh, time and mercy and uh, that you have sovereignly elected uh, those that you intend uh, to save from the, from the foundation of creation and before the foundation of creation. And um, that, uh, that in your great mercy you save some. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for uh, the love that you have displayed throughout all of uh, all of the time, all the uh, the description that we see in in, uh, in your word from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, we see a God of great mercy and loving kindness, um, even in your wrath, even in your judgment. And we thank you for all that, Lord. We thank you now for the opportunity we have to worship you as a body of Christ here at Hope Bible Church. And we pray that our worship will be acceptable in your sight. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.